0: Welcome to the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast, where you'll discover new opportunities to grow your business from seven figures to eight from the world's most successful agency and B2B SaaS executives. I'm your host, Corey Quinn. Let's jump into the show. Today, I'm joined by author and CEO, Dan Englander. Welcome, Dan.
1: Corey, thanks for having me.
0: It's always good to talk to a fellow banana slug.
1: That's right. Yeah. I forgot. We're both slugs. Yes. Uh, it feels like so long. What, what college were you at? I was day? in college eight. Okay. Yes. That must've been, yeah, that was, I was at Merrill, which must, oh, sure. means I had to walk up that giant hill every yeah, day. Yeah, so. absolutely.
0: So yeah. College eight, is not a very colorful name. It's very, I think it's a functional name. I think it was the eighth college at, at UC Santa Cruz, but, uh, yeah. uh, always great to talk to a fellow slug. Could you introduce yourself to the listening audience to share a little about who you are and the work you do?
1: sure so again uh, dan englander CEO and founder of a company called sales schema we help marketing agencies and other b2b service companies basically build predictable pipeline through tasteful and targeted outreach so a lot of the times we're working with agencies that have built themselves up on referrals it's reactive it really doesn't get them to where they need to go it'll get them from zero to one but not from one to n a lot of the times and then from there a lot of the other solutions are kind of built on spammy tactics mass marketing mass sales when the fact is for most agencies just winning any client isn't isn't good they want to win specific clients a handful of great clients is a complete sea change better than dozens of bad ones and also reputations and and all the all that stuff being authentic being tasteful matters a lot more than just simply doing anything you possibly can to get meetings in business. So that's what our team specializes in. Historically, we've done that for clients. Now we're developing a model where we teach them how to fish and do this alongside them. And that's what we're focusing on. Yeah. Awesome.
0: We're kindred spirits in, in the in the respect of wanting the right client, not any client. So I think that's, that's uh, right on from my perspective. What could you share about the sort of the, your business sales schema, like the, the number of employees or clients or revenue? Anything you can share just for context?
1: Yeah, so we're we're basically a boutique consultancy. We're like a nice lean team of five or so full time. We've got a, a pool of probably like fifteen or twenty freelancers we we draw from and work with in different capacities. You know, hovering around that seven figure level. Basically, been around since. 2014, worked with, with hundreds of agencies and B2B service companies at this point, and I've learned a whole lot through the process, yeah. which which I can talk about. Sure, here.
0: absolutely. And one of the things I, I, I can... I recognize that just in your book that I'm really excited to dive into, which talks about your sort of your approach and a lot of the case studies. So when we introduced that book, you, you wrote a book called Relationship Sales at Scale. What is Relationship Sales at Scale? What's the book about and what's the, what's the promise to the reader?
1: Yeah, I'll hopefully do it in a concise way. We'll see how long <laughs> I, I drone on sure. about it. but. But basically what I kind of noticed was like throughout my whole career in sales and then like running a company, there was a way that most people sort of did things on their own, especially like veteran agency owners that have gotten good at it and done it for a a long time. And the way that they would like reach out to people and the way that I would and the sort of like it almost felt like tradecraft in a way or it's just like the way that we all communicate with each other in this B2B world is like different than the way that everybody says that you have to communicate right so it was a lot of the times it's like casual it's based on on trust on doing things that inherently build trust whether or not you know that's conscious or subconscious and i just noticed that like almost nobody was teaching it that way everybody was saying like you've got to set up this funnel and it should include 10 touch points and these pieces of software and it should tie back to this content and all that sort of thing and I just felt like, in terms of making targeted outreach, like making outbound work, the things that we saw to work were completely different than the way everybody was teaching it. And to give, like, you know, a poignant example of what kind of planted the seed for the for the book, a couple of years ago, we were working with an agency specialized on like blue chip tech companies based in Silicon Valley. They had all the experience in the world. They had all the bonafides. They had all the con- They had all the content. They had all the things. And we were running the classic cold outreach campaigns for them that most companies would run where LinkedIn, email, phone, this 5 touch points go from one piece of content to the other to people you don't know. And nothing was working. You know, It was basically crickets. We knew we were going to lose the client. And then we developed a campaign where we did a little bit more data mining. And we found... You know, a situation we basically built a campaign where we found people that used to be at one company that they had worked with and making it up, but let's say it was like IBM. And then they went on to another company, let's say it was HP. And we sent a three-line email that was like, Saw you used to work at IBM. We've done tons of work with them over the years. Hope all is well at HP. We should probably talk. We're doing some work in your space right now. And that got dozens of meetings, you know, closed business. They went on to get acquired. Not just because of us, but hopefully we helped and so on. So that kind of planted the seed and then we kind of kept developing the process from there. And what we realized is that at the top of the funnel, everybody thinks that they have to be special and differentiate and use bells and whistles and all these sorts of things. And... That does matter. All the stuff, all the great sales practices and content and all these things matter. But further down the funnel, and and our whole observation is that the top of the funnel, the main thing we're up against is lack of trust, right? So then the question becomes how do you build trust and how do you do it at enough scale so that you're getting consistent meetings without working 50 hour weeks and so on, right? So that's sort of how we developed the process and, and how we're, then that's what inspired the book and all the tactics we talked I talk about it, in it basically.
0: Sure. So a couple of foundational questions. The, so I've, I've been in the agency space for 15 plus years and two out of the three agencies were very, very much founder led when it came to generating new business. So one founder of the agency was a Harvard business school, uh, graduate, he got an MBA from Harvard Business School, and they have a great network. And as as a result of that network, he was able to get you know, leads and opportunities from CEOs and CMOs from brand name companies like Lululemon and Remax and so on and so forth, which you know I I helped close and and whatnot. And then the other agency I was working at was founded by the ex CM CEO of MySpace you know, the old school, you know, social network, that, that my space, Right. And so he also had this fantastic social network and professional network, I should say, that allowed him to really work the network. He was very charismatic and whatnot. And that helped us to grow, kind of grow the business was through that. Does this concept of relationship sales at scale, does it, does it, does it extend beyond the founder? Can it, can it extend to, you know other parts of the company, like the sales team. Like how how would a sales team who's not a charismatic founder, ex CEO of MySpace, run this play?
1: Yeah, it's it's a great question, and the short answer is, is yes, and that's that's what we do for a lot of our clients, and, and show our clients how to do. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is just sort of recognizing that everybody's trying to over automate or use personalization that isn't that compelling. And with AI, there's this arms race of like. Hey, Corey, I'm going to look at all this information about you and regurgitate it back to you. And then hopefully that lands me the meaning, right? (laughs) But just thinking about the bar being so low. So, for example, if even if you are a salesperson and you don't, and you're young and you don't have a huge network yet, well, you know, is there somebody else in the company whose network you can reference? And then you could say, hey, I saw that you're connected to so and so on our team. That's really cool, you know. We do a lot of work in your vertical specifically. I just wrapped up. We just wrapped up this project. I have an idea for you. That's probably going to result in a higher conversion rate than almost anything else that you can do. Whenever I come up with copy and I start spouting out ideas, it's usually half-baked. But at the same time, people will say things like, I would never respond to that or whatever. And I think there's just it helps to kind of take a beat and remember, it's sort of like saying... I see ads all the time and I don't buy the product. So advertising doesn't work, right? It's like the fact is we're going for a higher conversion rate than the norm, which is the the cold outreach play and, I, and the bar being very low, right? So th- there's plenty of other tactics you can do. But I think the main thing to keep in mind is that you know, most of our clients, especially in the agency space, like the total addressable market isn't massive. The numbers, the, the, the volume of outreach you need to do to be successful isn't that big. So once you're already working with smaller numbers, then that gives you the opportunity to identify those people that are going to be more likely to talk to you based on something you have in common. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be a CEO doing the outreach. It could be a lot of different people in the organization.
0: What I like is that it takes the asset, let's say, of the collective relationships in the agency as an afterthought and really brings it to the forefront of the strategy. And you start there and you build your sort of your approach based on what exists in the, in the network. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it. But I think a lot of times people get too hung up on the exact tactic, right? Because they're like, "Well, uh, I don't connect with people on LinkedIn, so my network's small, so I can't do that." Or I didn't go to Harvard, so I can't do that. A lot of it is is actually just looking at walking the walk and talking the talk, which is the a, a copywriting principle that, that we, we came up with, which is that even if you are, even if you do have to go in cold, even if you don't want to do the commonality thing, a lot of the times. Agencies will have like tons of experience in a particular vertical, but they're just not talking about it in a way that is believable, right? That that is uh, that's plausible. And, and some of the, sometimes this comes through terms of art. Sometimes it comes through writing an email in a way that looks too salesy or too too much like marketing copy. But for example, like we have a client right now that's selling into B two B cybersecurity and has to refer and is like. You know, referring to specific clients in a certain way, or using a particular term of art that only somebody in that space would use. But it takes knowing your market well enough, and then having enough attention to detail with that list building, so that you're making a list of people that where you actually have that right to win, basically. And that's a huge part of this as well. Yeah,
0: let's talk a little bit more about list building. What are some best practices for building a list?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question. I mean, I think the first one is. Being getting a lot of clarity, or if you don't have clarity, then use the process itself to find it. Right. So, I think, I think like less is more. Usually, we see agencies going too broad as opposed to too specific with their lists. Beyond that, to get more tactical, account base is the way to go. You know, so you're building your ICPs out, ICPs as they apply on an account level. So, tech companies is not good enough. You're looking at B2B cybersecurity between. Ten and twenty million in revenue, right in the U.S. and Canada. That yeah. that's a good ICP. From there, building that list of specific accounts, getting it ninety nine, one hundred percent good. Using that account list to then inform the list of people that you want to target, and then that produces you know a massive, well not not a massive, but it produces a, a cohort of prospects, and that's kind of the next step of, of building the house. And then from there. Looking at commonalities, right? And that's where we're getting tactical. It's not a one size fits all, but we may find it could be something very simple where it's like you could talk, you know, contact any CMO at these companies, or you could contact the CMOs that are in your backyard, or that are in a place where you have a trade show in three months, or that live next to your part, your business partner, or that, you know, went to the same college maybe, although that's a little bit played out. There's, there's a million, there's a million ways to think about it. Yeah. Unless you went to UC I Santa was Cruz. Say, in which case, like, you can't ignore take that. take every right? single call. Yeah. <laughs> so what, see, not every college is Santa Cruz. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
0: what, what, so what are examples you route off a few, but like, what are some examples of tried and true commonalities besides college that are worth kind of looking for in this, in this process?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the first one is, is really just getting clear on a specific niche, like a, like a really tight ICP can get you a long way, even if you don't do any other commonalities on top of it. We always like to find a commonality when we can, but sometimes it might be harder. Sometimes it might bring the, the data down too much, right? So to back up a little bit, I think a lot of the times people are are thinking about over-automating and getting the numbers too massive, and then it becomes unwieldy and something breaks, or you end up spamming people and then your messages don't go, get delivered correctly. So what we say is aim for approximately 300 new people contacted per week. Because if you do that, then you're contacting whatever 50-ish a day. And then you can really figure out campaigns that are, are well-targeted. But to, to answer your question in terms of commonalities, I think a really good starting place is actually geography, is actually location. It sounds a little bit old school and it sounds a little bit goofy, but there's just something about it that resonates with people, right? So it could be people in your backyard. It could be A place where you have client meetings it could be where somebody else is based in your company it could be a place where you grew up the list kind of goes on but that that ends up you know being being pretty effective but it also just depends on on your vertical and and what else you're doing in your situation you know like a lot of the times events can be another way to think about this it could mean looking at a particular client that you've worked with and have recently wrapped up work with, and you can hopefully talk about it and then looking at competitors and similar companies. But when, once you're drilling down to that level, now you're writing an email where it's super compelling because most people aren't willing to do that work. Most people want to automate, they want to click a few buttons and then be done with it. What we're suggesting isn't necessarily more work, but you're just putting the work at a different place in the process. Because what most people are doing is they're backloading the work, right? So they're saying, I'm going to go buy this list or or like, you know, spend five seconds thinking about this and then running it through a few different sequences as opposed to front loading it and figuring out, okay, I've really looked at these people. I've really looked at these companies. Like this message mat- matches this market perfectly. And they also share this commonality with me. And then front loading that part of the work, but then you're not necessarily like, A-B testing follow-up messages 100 times, then you're not necessarily chasing them down or having somebody dialing for dollars, hitting them up 100 times to scrape up a meeting. Because what we see with that classic sales process is like, yes, if somebody wants to talk, be persistent. Like, don't, you know, be slow to get back to them. Or if they get busy or flake, like, yeah, follow up with them once they've shown interest. But when you put the persistence and all that sort of like chasing at the beginning you're actually getting diminishing returns because a like you're just yelling at a brick wall a lot of the times but also you're going to get you're going to annoy people you could hurt your reputation or they might hit the spam button and then your messages don't get delivered anymore so in a situation where your total addressable market's limited it's really more about more personalization and more that work at the beginning as opposed to backloading it so anyway, I might have lost your Yeah, watched no, no, I, am, <laughs> yeah, I, I I, love yep. how
0: simply you've you've articulated that problem, which I too come from the camp of less is more and to really not, uh, really to take a list and, and spend, you, you cover this in the book, but spend a lot of time on the front end, really finding the, the high quality prospects that clearly have a problem that you can solve. And that can afford your services, maybe your premium services as a primary area to focus on the outreach. And then it sounds like you layer on the commonalities once you get to that point, which I think is really smart.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's what we found to work really well. And I think that it's just it's just a smaller touch that most people aren't doing. Most, most people won't. And it creates an effect where like, look, you know, we're still being realistic here. Like most of the people we reach out to are not going to be ready to talk. We're looking for a percentage of them yep, that are. Yep. But there's, there's a qualitative element that I think gets lost. Roy Sutherland talks a whole lot about how I love his work, where it's like a lot of the times we optimize for the for a metric at the expense of everything else, <laughs> right? So people will will look at open rates, uh, click you know reply rate, meeting rate, but then they're not taking into into effect the everybody that is getting annoyed or else hitting the spam button yeah. and you never see that metric because it's it's, you know, it's the invisible. black box of yeah. google yeah it's invisible and what happened well, but the way it plays out and we hear this all the time from people is we hired a legit company they got us nothing or we try to do this ourselves it used to work it stopped working we have no idea why and it's like <laughs> i know why when the open rate goes from from 50 to 40 to 20 yeah. to 10 it's because everything's going to spam right so our whole thing is The consistency is bigger than everything else. Like if you can just keep it up and not be offending people, then even when people aren't ready to talk, they're at least not mad at you. You know, we get we see this all the time. We get data on this, and the replies are like, "Thanks so much for reaching out. Really appreciate it." You know, can't talk right now, etc. So it does it does show itself. Yeah.
0: Hey, it's Corey. Almost every day, I talk with agency owners who are frustrated with getting their outbound program off the ground. The truth is too many agencies are too dependent on inbounds and referrals to grow their business. We all know that it's getting harder and harder to generate inbounds and that it's just not a sustainable way to grow your business. I'd like to give you the six secrets for driving consistent ROI from your outbound that I learned as Scorpion's chief marketing officer, where we doubled the business from 20 million to 40 million just by adding outbound to an existing inbound-only program. It's a free six-day email course that will transform your outbound from broken to consistently driving new sales opportunities. You could sign up and get the first secret right now by going to getoutboundroi.com. That's getoutboundroi.com. Now back to the show. Uh, That is definitely, uh, I definitely agree with that philosophy and approach. And oh, the thought I had, which I think is related is that if you are an agency that has committed themselves to a vertical market as their primary focus, to your point, it is a relatively small pool of businesses, ultimately that you're going to be targeting, wanting to build relationships with. And if you create a, a, a negative perception of your brand that, Hey, you're just a, you know, you're a, a volume shop and you're doing a bunch of sort of spammy activities or what could be perceived as spammy activities is going to work against you as you try to you know, build your reputation in, in that market.
1: Yeah, and like most things in life, it's a fine line. You know, in the yeah. book I write about this and call it the Goldie Goldilocks Zone, the Goldilocks Gang, where we don't want to over-automate and, and offend people and be spammy. At the same time, you can't be afraid to contact your market, and you also have to realize that you know, like you you, you need to keep up with a certain a certain volume level, and that if you if you try to get it perfect, then nothing's going to happen at all, and. You know, you could write these really custom love letters and stuff, but then you're going to get busy and they're going to fall off. So it's a fine line. And for us, you know, the numbers can vary. 300 is not a golden number, but that tends to be the approximate amount where we're contacting around that many people per week.
0: And how big is the total market? Like, what is there a, is there a number that you like to get above or below when it comes to, like, the total number of businesses or, or, or contacts you're looking for in this outreach?
1: Yeah, that, that's kind of hard to say. It Just really varies yeah. depending on our clients' total addressable markets. But to, to hopefully be helpful, usually, look, our our, our clients are, are not necessarily niche to one industry. That that's nice when it happens, but usually there's like a handful that our clients are working with, sure. and some of them don't don't want to be niche to one industry, which is fine. Maybe they niche more on specialization or whatever it is. But what we always say is that look, like you might not be, you might be industry agnostic. But the people receiving your message are. What's the first thing they're going to say? What have you done for telecom? What have you done for manufacturing? Right. So we still have to work within that constraint yeah. because that's how they're going to be thinking of themselves. And with that in mind, let's let's go for three. If we do more than three, it's going to be more. It's going to be confusing. And if we do you know fewer than three, maybe you're not ready to niche that much yet. Yeah. So usually we're going for like three ICPS, account based ICPS at once. If that makes sense. Yep. Yeah, and then a lot of the times we're not going for. Sorry, to I was gonna yeah. say we're not going for hundreds of meetings a week. We're going for like a meeting a day. This kind of the target. You know, good. And sometimes we might have to get through a few more than that to get to the good ones, but like our, our clients are usually happy with about that. And uh, our whole the napkin math is like, look, if you can get a ten percent close rate, you can work your way up to doing that on outbounds. So that means you're talking to ten people, you're closing one of them, then you're potentially closing a deal every couple of weeks, if that's what you want, you know, yep. we can't, we don't promise that, you know, we, we work at the meeting level, but that's that definitely something we see. Yeah. You know?
0: What are some best practices for leveraging, let's say your first degree connections on LinkedIn to, you know, empower them, let's say to help you to get to the contact you're trying to get to, like what, what's a, what's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, that's such a great question because, like, most people, including myself, at some point have done this the complete wrong way. But like, almost everybody does this right. The the worst thing is when you when you go and you say, "Hey, do you know anybody?" and so on, and then you get better, and you're like, "Hey, do you know anybody that's in this sort of company between X and Y that has this problem?" That's great, but it's still hard for that person to help you because they have they're busy they they have to understand exactly what you do, which is usually complex. They have to find the right person. They have to feel comfortable introducing all these stars have to align. So I think you know the way we've been able to help clients and the way we see our better clients handling this is it's all about as much specificity as possible. So if you're on this networking meeting, all the resources are there in front of you, like at your fingertips to go and say, Hey, Corey knows these five people or might know these five people that I'm hoping to reach. And then you could be able to say, Hey, Hey, Corey, like, can I run some names by you? And like, you know, can I help you in any way as well? Do you actually know these people? You know, are these intros you feel comfortable with? Great, you can help me out. I'm going to follow up with you and send you a template that you can use to make this super easy to connect to connect me. Right, so it, it's that kind of thing that I think gives our clients a lot of leverage. This can get much fancier. There's stuff we do that's proprietary that involves ranking your first degree, you know, prospects so that you can say, Hey, this person knows 50 people I want to reach and then you can reach out to them and like, there's ways to systematize this. But even if you do it just that alone, you're already like miles ahead of like, everybody else. Yeah.
0: Let's say you've uh, you mentioned you're you're helping your clients with a done with you type of approach. Is the is the expectation that they're going to basically build this capability in house, this relationship sales at scale, capability in house? Is that the the vision with your clients?
1: It is, and it's a lot of the times it's not just you know so the owner can can network better or use their network because that that to me is. Medium to long term, kind of fragile, right? Because if they ever want to sell the agency, yeah. you know that's gonna you're gonna have to have a system for teeing a business that goes beyond just that network. But I think as a philosophy and as a process, relationship sales at scale, you know, scales to to the team, right? Because that that it's not just your role at X. It's also looking at the commonalities that you that the individuals have with prospects that you have with the specific companies that you want to reach, or even on an account basis, kind of. How you're doing that, you know? How how are you doing outbound well, and so on. So that that's how we're thinking about it, anyway. Are there
0: are there metrics that a sales manager or a leader sh- could be, you know, using to ensure that they're, you know, practicing a relationship at scale, a relationship sales at scale approach?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the biggest thing is being able to budget just the. the the time to the systemization of it, and the time for, for doing outreach and yeah. putting in that sort of activity, with the knowledge that focusing on it's going to give you more leverage than a lot of other things you could be doing. So that's the first thing I think. As far as you know, measure. It's hard to measure like the value of just networking because there's a lot of ancillary benefits to it as well. Yeah. it's not just for new business. But I think that if you have if you're hiring a salesperson you want to empower that person right and you want to kind of give them give them leverage and so part of that is being able is for them to be able to say like okay you know if i if if I, if I want to break into telecom why don't i have the process for identifying who in the company knows people that know a lot of people that we want to do business with and then being able to do outreach to get introduced in a tasteful way you know so yeah. I, th- I think that's one way to measure it obviously the other, the other classic sales metrics from there yeah. you know opportunity value and so on yeah
0: yeah that's awesome how do you see just you know having been in the sort of the sales space now for as long as you have and what are your what is your perspective on ai generative ai how is sort of these type of technologies in the near term because who knows about the long term but in the near term how do you see these impacting sort of sales organizations and that function overall
1: yeah, I'm keeping an eye on it and I'm still completely open-minded to it, yeah. but I'm not impressed yet, to be honest. I'm yeah. just not. and I think that everybody's like... And I feel like awkward saying that because there's a lot of pressure to to get with the program and to pretend and to sell AI because it's the new thing. But I think that it's going to make what's already scarce even more valuable, right? Which is the thing that you have in common. I mean, it's not just a commonality, but the, the thing that I think it's going to make trust even more important. And I think that it's going to create a lot more noise, which is going to make that which is scarce even scarcer, right? So, so you know, it, we haven't even seen it, it, it. We're just getting started for how weird things are going to get, yeah. right? Because it's like, with, there's already deep fake technology. There's already stuff that can mimic this, that, and the third about you. <laughs> people are going to get more. We're already skeptical of things and people we don't know reaching out to us. But you know email and outreach is predicated on and, and all this stuff works like we have to be able to do business with people we don't already know, right, so this has to work, but I think it's just going to make the, the the level of trust even scarcer, and I think that you know brings up the value of what we do yeah 100%, <laughs> so I'm excited hundred percent yeah
0: so as an as an agency owner, I mean you own an agency you help uh, support agencies directly, you wrote a book, and what was what was the was there strategic thought around that and, and the work you do? Were they disconnected? Like, what was the impact? And what's been the impact of, of having a book to you to your work and the, and you know, growing the agency?
1: Yeah, I, I think a lot. I think a lot of it was I just had all of these these ideas that needed to spill out of me. As you probably gauged from my droning responses <laughs> so far, I have trouble being concise. <laughs> so I, I find it much easier to write books than than to do like tweets or, you know, yeah. snappy articles and yeah. that kind of thing. So I'm a sort of like a book every few years kind of kind of guy. Yeah. And, and you know, beyond that, I'm sort of trying to figure out the where it lives in terms of like our marketing and sales process, to be honest. Yeah. Right now it's kind of becoming a mid funnel thing that we send to people and so on. We do get people coming to us from the book more and more. Yeah. I found that it takes time though to kind of get it to that level. And it's it's great. It's an authority builder. You know, I think a lot of the times, I hear a lot of unfair criticism against business books and other nonfiction because people will say like, well, this could have been a blog article. And it's like, yeah, it could have been a blog article, but it's a costly signal. The whole point is like, I'm making a point. Like it took me a lot of energy to put a cover on this thing and to get all this stuff together. So, it's like, I'm I'm putting this in bold here. Yeah. And that's that's kind of how I'm thinking about it.
0: One of the things I really like about your book is that it's very tactical. Like I, I in, in reviewing it, even just before this interview... It, I was getting ideas about how to, you know, how to do the specific types of eat outreaches. Like, for instance, you talk about four different types of campaigns to reach out to your first degree connections. And so while, you know, people can criticize, I think that there's a, a tremendous amount of value packed into that book. So for whatever that's worth, I wanted to share that with you. Speaking of your agency, so what is an ideal Client size, you mentioned uh, some of that at at the front end of the interview, but what is an ideal client for, for your agency?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because like we're going through a lot of rethinking about about this because we were we always like scream about how everybody should be niched and specialized and we always kind of thought we were and I guess we were better than than some because we focus on marketing agencies and to the lesser extent other B two B service companies but I think in the past you know we we still work with the bigger agency that's like above that $5 million, 10 million level. In a done for you capacity, like we have, we have room for you know a couple of those every so often. But I think, and then on the lower end, you know, there's plenty of agencies I talk to that we're hopefully helping out that are like below that one two million dollar level. But our sweet spot right now, as we're figuring it out, I think we've sort of looked back at our best clients who get the best results are sort of like that one point five two ish to about five million dollar level. They've you know, the the owner knows that they can't be the only one selling. They know they need help. They know that they need to get past referrals. They've probably worked with some legion company that got them nothing. They've probably tried to do various start and stop experiments on their own, and uh, and they they need, they need help finding like not just any client, but like the right clients. Yeah. That, that tends to be where our sweet spot lives nowadays.
0: Yeah. And how do people how do people hear about your agencies? Mostly through relationships or do you do obviously well i'll ask well how do you how do you grow your business how do you get new clients
1: yeah i wish there was like a really nice like power law distribution and i could (laughs) just say like it all comes from this but it's kind of split not quite evenly i forget the exact breakdown but it's split in chunks between like outbound so we get a whole lot of probably like probably that's about half actually is us doing for ourselves what we do for clients which is great because then we could say hey we're on this call right now and you know look what we did and I encourage agencies to do that too. So if you specialize in, you know, sometimes it's not feasible, depending on your situation to practice what you preach in that way, but it's something we, we get, you know, another chunk from what I'm doing now, uh, from thought leadership and referrals is another chunk and, and so on. So we're somewhat diversified, but it, it tends to not be like perfectly diversified for a long period of time. It'll, there'll be like different, different sectors that pick up the lion's share, I guess. Yeah
0: so a couple couple last questions as we wrap up here if you are what advice would you have for an agency that's thinking about relationship sales and how to leverage relationships in helping them to grow their agency
1: yeah i mean I i think the first one is figuring out you know what you actually want to accomplish and what makes for an ideal client and the sort of like normal blocking and tackling and strategy that your are that agencies are probably doing for their clients. So that's thinking about your ICPS. That's thinking about like really where you're trying to go, you know. And that's that's probably pretty cliche response, but I think that's the, the first starting point. And then from there, it's really about time and resources, right? So it's like, okay, somebody's got to be the sales point person. Somebody's got to be the face of these campaigns and be getting on that first call. If there's nobody else. And the company that can do it, that usually means it's the owner. Before long, it could be somebody else, right? Once you have the system in process for teeing up leads, then you can plug a salesperson into it. Uh, it Helps to have have an assistant role that can help with the more technical list building, software, et cetera, aspects of this and so on. So that's the sort of thing we're we're helping people figure out.
0: Beautiful. Last question, what is your motivation?
1: Oh man! Well, right now it's uh, it's getting ready for the, the first kid, which you know we talked about before we threw on the recorder. So, I, I think honestly, like like a lot of people, we had kind of a down year in 2023. But I'm not I'm not just saying this like as a glass half full Pollyanna sort of thing. But I, I'm genuinely happy with where we're going qualitatively because it's had to make us focus on you know exactly the sort of clients we want to be working with. I think get really clear on like what we want to be doing. So that's good and I'm just I'm motivated about what we're what we're building now and sort of like the morale of the team and, and everything like that. So kind of had to focus on what's important. Yeah.
0: That's great. How can people reach out to you if they want to connect with you, learn more about your services or just, you know, connect
1: otherwise? Yeah, probably uh, breaking cardinal rules by giving too many Call to actions, but uh, <laughs> our site is a great place to learn more saleschema.com. Uh, my email is dan at saleschema.com, and then I'm on LinkedIn as well. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Any last thoughts you'd like to share about the, the topic of relationship sales at scale?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the important thing is like the consistency and getting started with, with something as in, and then messing it up, maybe, as opposed to doing. Doing nothing. As I'm thinking out loud, I think the the most important thing is that most agencies, especially ones that have been around the block for a little while, have like way more experience and trust than anybody else that's reaching out to their prospects. That's not a given. I don't know everybody listening, but what I tend to see is that people will have like these track records of like working with like dozens of the biggest X Y Z companies on Earth, but they're still scared to reach out to their prospects and build a relationship. So. I think it's mostly a problem of getting started on something, you know, even if it's not perfect.
0: Yeah. And I can't think of a better partner to help them get started with than uh, you and your your team there. So thank you so much for joining, Jen.
1: Thank you, Corey. Appreciate the kind words and everything. Yeah. Yep.
0: All right, folks, that's it for today. I'm Corey Quinn, and I hope you join me again next time for the Vertical Go-To-Market Podcast. If you receive value from the show, I would love a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you soon.